You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. So normally around the time where we're preparing for Christmas, we read a lot of readings from the Gospel of Luke. Um, And Luke begins his Gospel by telling Theophilus, the person to whom he's writing, I too decided, after investigating everything from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. So I think in the majority of churches and even in the majority of our just Christian experience of Christmas is this perspective that we take when we are considering and thinking about what happened on Christmas Day. We take the, the lens of somebody who went and explored with witnesses the details of what occurred. So it's Luke that tells of the angel who appeared to Mary and gave her the Annunciation, who told her that she would bear the Christ. It's Luke who tells us of Zechariah disbelieving the angel Gabriel in the temple that he was also to have a son named John, and therefore he fell silent until the time that his son was born. It's Luke that tells us of the Savior who was born and lay in a manger because there was no room for him in the house. It is Luke who tells us of the choir of angels that came to the shepherds at night. And all of this is important. It's part of our understanding of what happened when Jesus was born. And it is good and right that we look at at all of the details of his birth. But it's not the whole story. And John tells the story from a different perspective. Not everything that happened that night that Christ was born was visible. Not everything can be accounted for by talking to the human witnesses. Much, John is telling us the story from a heavenly perspective. And much of what he knows, he knows only because he spent years walking with Jesus. That he followed him as his disciple. He listened to him teach. He listened to him talk about how he revealed the Father. He listened to him speak and tell that he was going to send his Holy Spirit that would reveal him even further. He saw him raised from the dead and understood that the power of God was working in him in a way that was unlike anything that the world had ever seen. John and most of the disciples didn't understand who Jesus really was until the end. But he actually thinks it's important that when we start from the very beginning, that we actually do so with that end in mind, that we keep in mind what it is that actually happened on Christmas. He does this so that we can properly respond to and marvel at what God has done in Christ. The first thing that that John wants us to know in his Gospel account is he wants us to keep in mind who Jesus is. When we look in the Synoptic Gospels, the the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, and we look at the way they talk about the birth narrative, and they talk about who Jesus is, they do so through the perspective of the lineage of David. It's in Matthew and Luke that we have the idea of Jesus coming from the line of David, where we have all those begats, um, where we find out how he came from Abraham or how he came from, from the line of David. 
And it's from them that we understand that Jesus is the Christ. That's much of what is talked about in the birth narrative of, of those accounts, is that he is the one who God had promised. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. And it's going and showing how all of that is true. John confirms that title. Um, John the Baptist, who he also mentioned in that opening narrative, calls Jesus the Messiah, which is just another word for the Christ, the anointed one. And it's important for us, again, to know that about Jesus as he came. But knowing that Jesus is the anointed one is not sufficient. That's a title, but it's in part a human title. It's revealed to us in scriptures, but it's one that, that everyone thought was just going to be a man. A very special man, of course, a man appointed by God. But you can see throughout the Gospels that even those who confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, those who thought that he was the Christ, did not understand what that meant. They thought he was coming to be a king like David, someone to throw off the Roman rule. They couldn't understand who he was just by knowing that he was the Messiah. What John wants us to understand about Jesus from the very beginning is not that he wasn't the Messiah, but that also he is God. That's right here in verses 1 through 4 of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in the beginning, with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. John is very careful to make sure that we understand that he is eternal, that he has not something that was created, that he actually was with God in the very beginning. He's adopting the same language as Genesis that is used to talk about God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he is saying the exact same thing about Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus, the Word, created the heavens and the earth, so that there can be no mistake, this is not some other eternal being that was just with God, present alongside him, that is somehow not his equal but was there. This is God himself, the one who was created. This is one of the, the key ideas of the people of Israel throughout all the Psalms, throughout all their history, is that it was God alone who created. And Jesus is the one through whom all things were created. So he wants us to understand that Jesus is God. He is the source of all life. And this is the one who came down. This is the one who was born to us. And it's one of those things that we say all the time, as Christians, we repeat that idea in our creeds. We talk about the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet still, I think that it's just so fantastic, so huge what has happened, that the one who is God, the one who existed from all eternity, the one who created the heavens and the earth, came down to be with us and took on flesh like a man, that we lose sight of just how amazing it is. Because I don't think it's possible for us to really contain in our minds how amazing it is. And so we have to remind ourselves again and again when we come to this season and, and throughout all of the year, we have to remind ourselves how wonderful it is that God came down to be with us. There's no analogy that can do it justice, but for, for me, the closest thing would be is if you're sitting with your family on, around Christmas dinner on, on Christmas Day, and whoever like the most respected celebrity person that you can think of is in your own mind. So somebody, whether it's an 
an actor or an author or a theologian, you know, N.T. Wright shows up. The Bishop of, of Durham comes in, um, not anymore, but, you know, he was. Um, but he comes and he just like knocks on your door and says, I've heard about you and I want to come and eat with you today. And your whole family's day would change if you had that person whom you really respected came and decided to be with you. And you would tell that story again and again because it would lift up your family in the eyes of everyone to know that this person somehow knew you and respected you and came to be with you. And of course, with Jesus, it's coming not as a matter of respect, but it's a matter of love that he decided to come and be with us. And it changes everything to know that God has come to be with us. It elevates all of humanity. It lifts everyone's honor up that God cared to come with us, to be with us. There are all sorts of, um, of course, I enjoy watching good science fiction movies or reading good science fiction books from time to time. Um, and um, C.S. Lewis wrote science fiction as well. And one of the things that he said when he was talking about the incarnation was that even if we did discover actual other alien life out there, there's a sense in which humanity is raised up above all because God came and was incarnate among us the respect, the honor that that gives us is unimaginable. Another thing that C.S. Lewis says is that the incarnation is the central miracle asserted by Christians. When he talks about miracles, this is the central miracle to which all other miracles point. Not only is it the central miracle to which all other miracles point, it is the central event in the history of the earth, the very thing that the whole story has been about. All of creation, its story becomes different. The idea of creation becomes different when God came and was with us and among us and in human flesh, that he was really man with us. There's a song that I like by poor Bishop Hooper that is one of the Advent songs that I listen to pretty frequently, and it's, the song is told from the perspective of God speaking to the angel Gabriel when he's sending him to go um, to announce to Mary that, that, the, um, that Jesus will be born to her. And there's a, not, there's a line in there that says something along the lines of, this is the moment we've all been waiting for, um, infinite before, infinite after. But the idea of infinite before, God has existed for all of eternity. Infinite after, God will continue to exist for all eternity. But this is the very point in time by which all things are marked from this moment forth. Because this is the crux of history. And that is what we are here to celebrate, that this is the moment where everything changed, where the purpose of creation was revealed in a new way, where the purposes of God were revealed in a new way. And this is what we enter into when we celebrate in the season of Christmas. Because in the incarnation, his godhood was not undone, not diminished, but it was joined with a human nature such that by his very existence, humanity is glorified forever. This is what we celebrate here in this season. And this is why John wants to reveal this to us, that we can catch some glimpse of it, however much of it our minds can actually contain, so that we can respond by marveling at what God has done, that we can respond in amazement at what God has done, and we can respond in worship 
by falling down in worship before what God has done and the way that He has sent His Son to be a man. But John doesn't just stop there. That in itself would be enough if we could catch a glimpse of it. But he also gives us some of why he was here, not just who he is, God become man, but why he came. The ministry of John the Baptist gave a little bit of foretaste of a foretaste when he came in verse 7. John came as a witness to the testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus came so that all might believe. What does it mean when we say to believe? We talk about believing in Jesus all the time. So much so that sometimes it's one of those words that we use over and over again until it starts to lose its meaning a little bit. But given that John has just showed us who he is, That's the primary content of belief, was we believe that Jesus actually is who he says he is. But there are all sorts of implications that if we actually believe that Jesus is God made man and come among us. Because if we actually believe who he says he is, then we also must obey him. The idea of believing that somebody who stands before you is God, and then when they give you instructions, to be like, but I don't have to listen to that. It's just utterly ridiculous. And yet we oftentimes act like it somehow is possible to assent to this with our minds, that I believe that Jesus is God. But I'll sort of pick and choose what parts of what he says I want to obey, what parts I want to listen to. If we are going to believe, we have to follow his command to repent for the kingdom of God is near. We have to understand that we are actually to to give up all that we have to follow after the great treasure that has come among us. That we are not to be attached to stuff. That we are not to hold on to the things that we have or even the relationships that we have if they keep us from following after him. If we believe he's God, and we don't obey. The truth is, you don't really believe. Believing who he, that he is who he says he is, is, must and will follow with obedience. Now, of course, we are imperfect in that. We are still, in some way, under the weight of sin that makes believing and obeying perfectly on our own, impossible. But that is also why he came. He came to free us from sin so that we might believe. He came to free us from sin so that we might obey. But it's really important to remember when we talk about obedience that Jesus did not come primarily to make a bunch of rule followers. He didn't just come so that you and I could follow the rules. He didn't come to make subjects. John also says in verse Verses 10 through 12. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. 
We often talk about the gospel in a way that we talk about what it saves us from. We look at the brokenness in ourselves and we look at the brokenness of the world and we spent a lot of time doing this during Advent where we say, Lord, we need to be rescued. We are under, our world is still under the power of sin and death. Satan still reigns in some sense in the world and we need to be rescued. But the good news of the gospel is not just what you're being saved from. If it stopped there, it would still be good news. But the good news of the gospel at its very heart is what you are being saved to. You are being saved to become children of God. Again, we remember that Jesus came to be a human being and by doing so raised up all of humanity forever. But it's not just all of humanity that is being lifted up. It's also very specifically those who believe. There's this invitation that is given out to us to choose to receive him, to choose to believe him, to choose to follow him. And if we do, then we shall become children of God. I cannot say why exactly God decided to give us a choice in the matter, but he did. And we have to honor and recognize that choice. Some, in some way, he saw that all of creation would be better if we were given a choice, that the ultimate end of things is going to be better if he gives humans the ability to choose to follow him. And so we have to make that choice to follow Jesus. To all who receive him, they become children of God. And it's important here that we also understand that this, what this means, all who receive him become children of God. And the the corollary here, which is made very clear throughout the Gospel of John, that this is not just a sort of logical leap, that those who do not receive him do not. John, again, saw Jesus' whole ministry and is trying to point us to the whole thing here at the beginning. John saw Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The claim that Jesus is the way to God is not the claim that Jesus is a way to God. It is a claim of exclusivity. Something that is radical in our world to say that there is one way and only one way. And that as much as we try to hold to the many ways, in doing so we dishonor the one way, the God who became man, the God who is among us. It's scandalous in our world to say that there is only one way to God. Among those who are not Christians, this is probably the single most difficult claim in our country that we make about Jesus, is to say that he is the way. And yet he is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is not something for us to be ashamed of. It's not something for us to somehow hide, sort of wait to get to some point later on in our conversations with people who are seeking after him. It's not something for us to hide from, even if you've been in the church for a long time and you think that, you know, I like the message of the church, but there are others who have their own way as well. 
If we are going to do honor to the one who came among us, to the God who descended to us and took on flesh, then we must acknowledge that he is the way. That is why he came. He came so that we might become children of God. So what will you do with this knowledge? Again, John is showing us this so that we can respond in the right way. Will you actually respond as if God himself came down and offered to raise you up to be with him? And in some way, like him forever. That he came to make us so that we are not mere flesh and bone destined to return to the dust, but that we are actually like God and with him, in relationship with him forever that he came to give us eternal life. Nothing has life apart from him. But that which has him has life of an abundance, more than we can know what to do with, and he wishes and desires to fill us with that life, to make us children of God forever and ever. To reject this is like retelling the story of Cinderella, except for when Finally, the prince comes and says, you know, I've come here to to lift you up out of the the fireplace where you're just cleaning in the soot and you're cleaning in the ashes. And she says, no, thanks. Actually, I'm pretty happy where I am. I think I'll just continue to be the one who cleans the cinders out. It seems too good to be true, but it's not. John understands that it seems too good to be true. And so part of what he continues as he continues in this part of John chapter 1 is he reminds us that it has already been accomplished, that he has seen this all the way to the end. He has seen Jesus. He has experienced Jesus. He has walked with Jesus. And he says here, The Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory. John was witness to all that Jesus did. John was witness to His miracles. John was witness to the transfiguration where Jesus actually shone in glory. John was witness to the empty tomb and to the resurrection. John was witness to to Christ ascending into heaven, and he witnessed all of that before he wrote this. He has seen His glory. The glory as of a father's only son full of grace and truth. And he tells us John testified to him and cried out. So maybe you'll listen to John the Baptist because he was a prophet crying out in the wilderness. And then he says, we, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. He says, I have received, I have seen, I can testify. This is what God has done. This is who Jesus is. Listen to John. He's seen and received grace upon grace. And if not John, listen to me. I have seen and received grace upon grace. It was on a Christmas Eve 36 years ago that I decided to follow after Jesus. He's been faithful and good every moment since. I haven't always been faithful and good, but he has. 
if not me, listen to some of the other people here. There are stories all around you of how Jesus has been faithful, about how Jesus has been good, about how Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God who came to lift us up to be like him. We have received grace upon grace. That's part of what it means to gather here as the church. And if somehow you've been gathering and been with us and you haven't ever quite experienced that for yourself, if you're kind of going through the motions because it feels like the right thing to do because your parents did or because you just think that it's the right thing for our our country or you like the way that Jesus tells us to live, listen to John, listen to me, listen to those people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and understand that this invitation is held out to you too. There's the invitation here to be one who knows grace upon grace from God that comes through Jesus, who knows the miracle of who he actually is, God with us, God among us. Obey him if you have not. Repent and believe that he is who he says he is. And if somehow the wonder has faded, if all of the worries of the world and the busyness of the season and everything else has pressed out of your mind, just what an amazing thing it is that we celebrate a day where we remember that God became man so that we could become like him, so that we could be adopted as children of God. Remember. Remember and rejoice. Repent and believe anew. It's not something that happens only once in our lives. Again and again we are called repent and believe. And let's act like it's true. That God became man to be in our midst. So that we could become like God. Children of God. And let's rejoice and worship together at what God has done. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.